We are finishing up our Get Psyched series, like uh, Michelle said, with ice cream. Norwood ice cream will be right outside as you leave. Um, and just to recap, there's one theme we've been talking about over top this entire series, and that is the idea of love, as in the love that God is calling us to have. And the main thing we've said every week is that we are called to love without an agenda. Once we attach that agenda to love, all of a sudden it's not really love. It's about getting something. It's about manipulation. It's about something else. But when we love without an agenda, that means we love our family, our neighborhood, our community. When we love without an agenda, that makes love the agenda. So today we're going to get really practical, and I'm going to be giving you um, half of a sermon that I gave three years ago. Um, my guess is a lot of you, well, most of you weren't even there, number one. Number two, if you were there, you don't even remember what I talked about two weeks ago. So you definitely don't remember three years ago, that's for sure. Um, but we're going to be talking very practical about love, because if we want to practically love without an agenda, that means truly love our family, our friends, our neighbor, our community. I believe that there are two principles that we need to understand. The first principle is this, the principle of separate realities. The principle of separate realities. Uh, my favorite band is a band called Me Without You. Most of you have no idea who that is. That's fine. Most of you would hate them, okay? So don't even check them out. You and I like them. But I, that's been my favorite band since I was in high school. I graduated high school in 2003. I kind of discovered them around 2002. I grew up listening to them all throughout college and still listen to them to this day. Um, they, I, like, I like the way they sound. I like the lyrics. I, I like everything. I've seen them about 20 or 30 times. That's how into that band I am. I would go to a place called the Auto Bar, which is in Baltimore City. Some of you may have been there. Some of you may not. Really small, kind of dirty uh, venue that only fit like 200, 300 people. But I loved it because I would see so many shows there, including my favorite band, Me Without You. When I first started dating Erica, um, I, I have a personality that if I like something, I want to show it to people. If I like a movie, I want to show everybody that movie. If I like a band, I want to show everybody that band, especially someone I'm in love with, like my wife. So I really wanted to show her this band, Me Without You. So I played them for her. And this is in the, the time period where she was still like, trying to impress me and like trying to like, 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 would, would like, like some of the stuff that I, that I liked just because she wanted to still make sure that she knew that, but she would hate it. So I showed her me without you and she'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. And in her head, she's like, what is this terrible music? that she's making, he's making me listen to. And I'm like, oh, you like it? She's like, yeah, I'm, it's, it's good. I, I like the music. And then I was like, well, guess what? They're playing at the auto bar. You want to come with me? And she was like, yeah. And so she came. We had a date to the auto bar to go see Me Without You. That show for me, I remember that show. Um, they were played basically every song I liked. I was into it. I was singing the whole time. Every, the, I was at the Auto Bar, which is a place I've been so many times, and I really like that venue. Um, they, at the end, they had like a bunch of people from the crowd go up on stage and sing a part. I was like, this is awesome. I remember being like, this is one of the best shows I've ever been to. That was my experience of that Me That You show. Erica's experience was a little different. She got there, and she said, what is this place that is so gross and dirty? They don't clean anything here. It's tiny. Who are these people? The band goes on, she's like, this is terrible. I hate every song, and especially if you don't know the songs, it's hard to like it, but if you really don't like the band, it's really hard. And like all, at the end, all the people come, she's like, what's happening here? To me, that was one of the best concert experiences I've ever had. To her, it was one of the worst concert experiences she ever had. Let me ask you a question. Which reality was true? I shouldn't have actually asked that out loud, number one. Both realities are 100% true. To me, that reality, that experience I had is right for me. And her experience, being terrible and never want to do that again, was right. It was exactly right. And this is the principle of separate realities. Here's, here's um, a way you can define it. 
We don't see things the way that they are. We see things the way we are. That is how all of us experience the world. Each one of us has a thought system that is unique to us. It is built through our personality traits. It is built through our past experiences. It's built through our genetic makeup. It is built through our uh, current circumstances. It is built through our current health. It is built through many different aspects. So we all see the world differently. We all have separate realities. We all experience the world completely differently. You cannot control that and you cannot change that. You can only experience the way you experience the world. You cannot experience it the way anyone else experiences it. That's the principle of separate realities. Let me give you some examples. You will watch a movie and it will be the best movie you've ever seen. You show it to somebody else and they think it's the worst movie they've ever seen. They are both right because of the principle of separate realities. You might be stuck in traffic one day and you're like, I'm going to be late for work and you're stressed out, you're angry, you're so mad about it because you're stuck in traffic. Somebody else might be stuck in that same traffic. They're like, you know what? This gives me a little more time just to be, just to listen to worship music or listen to my Bible app or listen to nothing. I don't need to be at work for another hour. I'm ahead of the game. It's fine for me. Both realities are true because of the principle of separate realities. You may go to a Ravens game, like I went to the Ravens Chiefs game on Sunday, um, which was the best top three experiences of my entire life besides getting married, number one, and the movie that you show, number two. And then and then number three was, was this, this Ravens Chiefs game. But if you're a Chiefs fan and you're at the game, it's not a great experience for you. Both experiences are true. The principle of separate realities. We even see the principle of separate realities in the book of Romans. In it, Paul is talking um, about some of the quarrels that are happening in Rome at the time and regarding like how we use the old law, how we use the old covenant in this new Jesus world. And he gives multiple examples of what to do using the principle of separate realities. Here's what it says in Romans 14, starting in verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. I read this verse this week, and I got very convicted because I make fun of Frank for being a pescatarian all the time, and he's the one who eats vegetables. But for him, it's true, and for me, it's true, right? That's what Paul is saying. He continues on in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Hey, one sees this is the Sabbath day, this is a, this is a special day. The other one says every day is kind of the same. And Paul says they're both right. Principle of separate realities. Then he says this in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for them it is unclean. That's a principle of separate realities. Because of separate realities, no one can see and experience the same thing as someone else. Everyone is unique. In fact, it is impossible for anyone to have your reality, just like it's impossible for you to have anybody else's reality. We always experience things differently. And here's why this principle is important for us to understand. Here's why this principle is important. Because of separate realities, at times there's going to be a gap. You will experience something a certain way, they will experience something another way, and there's a gap between you. At times there will be a gap, that gap will continually exist. You will experience something one way than another person. And because of that, this gap, we need to figure out what we do with what we expected to happen Here's what I thought was going to happen. Here's what I thought this experience was going to be. What we actually experience to happen compared to somebody else. Whenever we're in a relationship, there is that gap. And that leads us to our second principle, the principle of trust. See, there is, this is the difference between love like God called us to have 
and not truly loving. Here's what the principle of trust says. The principle of trust says this, look for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior and believe it. Look for whatever that is, the most generous explanation for why that person behaved that way, which created a gap because you have separate realities. Whatever that gap is, look for the most generous explanation for that person's behavior and believe it. Anytime there is more of one of you in an endeavor, whenever there will be a gap, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's at your work, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with your neighbors, whatever it is. But because we understand that we all have separate realities, we need to love without an agenda. And love without an agenda decides that we will practice trust when our realities do not mesh well with each other. Um, have you ever heard of the fundamental attribution error? That's a psychology term. Here's what the fundamental attribution error says. The fundamental attribution error is a tendency to attribute someone else's behavior to their character and not do the same for us. So let me give you an example. There's somebody that um, you see that doesn't do the work they're supposed to do. You think they're lazy. That's why they didn't do it. That whatever they didn't do is goes to their character. They're a lazy person. When I don't do the work I'm supposed to do, it's because I had so many other things happening in life. I wanted to do the work, but I just couldn't do it. When that person's late, it's because they're always late and don't care about me. You, you attribute what they did to their character. When I'm late, it was traffic. It wasn't my fault. That's the fundamental attribution error. We tend to, what we tend to do is we don't give grace to the other person like we give ourselves. The grace that we give ourselves, we don't give it to that other person. That's why Jesus called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We give ourselves that grace. Here's why I'm late. Like, this is what happened when they're late. We, don't, we tend not to give it to them. The principle of trust says that we will look for the most generous explanation for that other person's behavior and believe it. And the most famous passage about love that really, I think, talks about this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is writing to a, a church in a wicked city here. This Corinth is full of pagan religions and worship and idolatry. So this church they planted was brand new Christians that were former pagans. They're trying to figure out how to be a church. So Paul responds to them telling these new Christians how they should live, how they should love. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So here's what he's saying. Back then, you would speak, try to speak the, the language of gods, but Paul makes it clear here able to do that, which you're not able to do, but even if you were able to do that, and you were able just to speak in such an elegant way, but you don't love, it would be like me trying to talk while somebody just hitting that symbol the whole time. It'd be annoying, right? That's what it would be. He continues on in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. See, what he's saying is I can know all there is about the Bible, I could have the best theology possible. I could have so much faith that I could perform miracles here. I could do all that, but if love is not attached to all of that stuff, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. Knowledge is not the measure of faith. It's love. It continues on in verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine if I decide, you know, I'm going to give away everything. My, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell every all my clothes, but like two shirts and one pair of jeans, and guys only need, really need one pair of jeans anyways. We'll, we, this will last me a week, okay? So that's what I do. I, I give away everything I have. I give all my stuff away and to the poor, so, and I live outside because I just want to help the poor so much. You would say, man, 
That's a pretty good Christian there. But Paul, if you do all that, but you don't love anybody, you gain nothing. There's no point in it. You shouldn't do it. And then he keeps talking about how you have love, have love. So then Paul changes it to how you have love in verse 4. Love is patient, as in it's willing to wait. It's willing to get back, to get in the back of the line. Love is kind, as in generous, considerate. It does not envy. You're not jealous of another person. It does not boast. When you're right, you don't rub it in someone else's face. You're grateful. It is not proud. You're not arrogant. You don't find satisfaction in your own achievements. Continue on to verse 5. It does not dishonor others as if, if it is harmful or dishonoring to you. I'm not going to do it because I love you that much. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I don't jump on you right away and snap at you when something happens. I'm not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. When it's over, it's over. I don't keep a record of wrong. That's what love does. He's on to verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then he says something that um, I always find a little interesting. He says, that's what love does. But there's four things that love absolutely always does. And to me, there's one thing that is said in here that doesn't make sense to me out of the four. Here's what it says in verse 7. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. See, to me, there's one thing that doesn't truly make sense. When it comes to protects, I can protect Erica. That's on me. I can protect her if something's about to harm her. I can protect her. I can do that. I can try to protect her emotions. That's a me thing. That's what I do. Always hopes that that's me hoping that things will be good no matter what. So that's on me because hopes, I, I can always hope that things will get better or things will be okay no matter what happens. That's a me thing. Always preserves. That means I can always preserve. That means when things aren't going the way it needs to, I can keep pushing forward. I can do that. That's on me. But always trust is where I don't understand it. Because isn't that on her? Like, I'll trust when she's trustworthy. She'll trust me when I'm trustworthy. I'll believe her when she's believable. How is that a me thing? I can only trust. Trust is earned. We've heard that, right? What if she doesn't earn my trust? See, I can protect all the time. I can hope all the time, preserve all the time. But trust? How is that a me thing? Isn't that a her thing? Always trust. This goes back to our two principles. Because of the principle of separate realities, we understand that there will be times where we are at a gap. We do not match up with someone else's reality. In every relationship, there will be a gap. Here, I'm going to show it to you this way. In every relationship, at times we will have an expectation. Here's what I expect is going to happen. I ask them to do the dishes, I expect them to do the dishes. I ask them to pick up, I, I assume they're going to pick up. I ask my boss to send me this, they're going to send me this. I ask my friend to let me know about this, they're going to let me know about this. Whatever relationship, it's not just romantic, any relationship, we have expectations. But then at times, our expectations do not line up with our experience. They didn't pick them up. They didn't do the dishes like they said they would. I, I asked them to invite me to the next cookout, they didn't invite me. I expected them, the, my boss, to send me what they said they were going to send me, and they didn't do it. Sometimes our expectations, our experience do not line up, and that makes a gap here. What we put in the gap is the principle of trust. We tend to think when this gap is here, when this gap is here, they're just a reaction. I expected her to do something, she didn't, so I'm just going to react a certain way. But it's not true. It is not true. We choose what goes into this gap, and here's what we can choose. We can choose 
to assume the best. You know what? It didn't match up to what I thought was going to happen, but I just I, I know that they didn't mean to do that. I, I, I trust that they were late and they had a good reason. Or believe the worst. They didn't do that because they actually don't care about me. My boss didn't send that to me because uh, where were they? They, they, they? they just don't care about their employees. My friend didn't do that to me because believe, we have a choice. We can either assume the best when there's a gap or believe the worst. We always have a choice. When we decide to love without an agenda, when we decide, no, I'm going to practice the principle of trust, I'm going to love without an agenda, what we are deciding is we will always, when there's a gap, assume the best. When that gap exists, which always happens, romantic relationships, friendships, your work, whatever it is, the principle of trust says, I'm going to choose to assume the best. That when that my expectations do not match my experience, I will assume the best. The principle of trust says that we will look for the most generous explanation for whatever that person did. We will look for the most generous explanation and believe it. When there is a gap between what I expect and what I experience, think of the most generous explanation and believe it. Let me, let me give you um, uh, some examples from my life. My wife and I, ever since we've heard this, um, we heard this from a pastor named Andy Stanley, very famous pastor. Um, we say this to each other all the time when we're not doing it. If something's happening, um, Erica will say it to me, hey, you got to believe the best of me, assume the best of me. And I have to say it to her, hey, believe the best of me, assume the best. There are times where um, she will ask me to um, remember to bring something. Maybe it's to bring something to church or whatever. She, she'll ask me, like, hey, can you make sure you bring this? And I'll go, yeah, Erica, I'll do it. And then she'll ask me again because she's pretty sure I'm not going to. She goes, hey, are you going to bring this? And then I start to get mad. I'm like, you've already asked me. Like, you don't have to keep asking me. One time, um, I had to bring something to someone at church, and I was getting up, getting ready, and I'm normally the first one up. Erica got up, too, to, and be like, hey, make sure you bring this. I said, Erica, you don't have to wake up. You told me this, right? So I'm going to bring it. If you told me, I'm going to bring it, okay? That's how I acted. Guess what I forgot? The one thing she told me to bring. At that moment, she can go, you know what? You know why you forgot that? He doesn't care about what I ask him. He doesn't ever listen to me. He doesn't ever care about it. He, that's just what he does. Or she can go the other way and believe the best of me. Say, you know what? Maybe it's because he had a lot of stuff. Sunday mornings is his busiest day. He's stressed about everything else going on. Maybe he just forgot and people forget. That's a choice that we make. And at times, when she gets mad at me, I'll say, hey, believe the best in me. This is a weapon you can use against your spouse. Hey, believe the best in me. And then the opposite's true. She'll go to Target. And whenever she goes to Target, I know what's going to happen. Thankfully, ever since we moved to Sykesville, there's no Target here. Thank God. I'm, I'm going to make sure there's no Target ever shows up here. I'm going to burn it down if it comes. She'll go to Target. She'll go to Target. And I'll be like, hey, you need to be back in an hour, please. Because we, first off, please don't spend a lot of money while you're at Target, number one. Number two, I need you back here. I got stuff I have to do. She's like, okay, I promise I'll be back in time. I have her location on my phone. This is the thing you can do. And so after an hour, I check. It's like, oh, she's still at Target. Hour and a half. Still at Target. I asked her to be home in an hour. She can't be home in an hour. She's an hour and a half. So then I started to get mad. Like, Erica, what is taking you so long? And I have a choice. When that happens, I asked her to do something and it didn't match up. I can believe the best in her. You know what? She's getting all the stuff we need to get. She's going to the grocery store. Maybe, she, maybe there was a lot more people than she thought was going to be there. Maybe she's buying me a present. So she has a lot of stuff she has to do. I can do that. Or I can assume the worst in her. You're like, you know what? She, she was doing this because she does not care about my time. She doesn't care about me. Every time there's a choice you can make, you can assume the best or believe the worst. There's always a choice. And this isn't just romantic. 
You do this with staff too. With our staff here at, at Impact Church, we have um, three, almost four staff people that are all volunteers. I'm the only one that, that is not a volunteer, right? I'm the only one that, that, that gets paid. They are completely volunteers. They, they don't get paid to do what they are going to do. So we have some expectations for them when it comes to like um, vacations. There's no number that they, that they have to stay to. They just have to take vacation. That's one, like just take them. I don't care how many you take. Just take as many as you need. I always want staff to be here, always. I hate when they're not here because staff are very important. They connect with you. They should be here. I always want them to be here. But sometimes they can't. Again, they're volunteers. Again, they have other jobs they have to have. So I have a choice. When they are not here, I can assume the worst in them. They're not here because they don't actually care about this church. They are not here because they don't actually care about me. They don't think it's important to be here. I can do that or I can assume the best in them. They're not here because they had to do something else and they hate not being here. It works for everything. It's not just your romantic relationships. It's your work. It's your friends. It's your neighbors. We have a choice every time to believe the best or assume the worst. I know what some of you are thinking. Two objections that always come up whenever we talk about this. The first one is this, what you experience. Yeah, but here's the thing. Um, They did it again. I assumed the best in them. And when it came back again, they did it again. And then again. They always go to Target and take too long. They always forget what I told them to, to bring. Like, that, that always happens. You're, what you experience. I keep believing the best. I keep assuming the best of them, and they keep doing the same thing over and over and over. That's objection number one. The objection number two is who we are. Number two, who we are. Remember, we all have our separate realities. We have ways that we see the world that is true for us and only us. We have past experiences. We have wounds. We have baggage that we bring. We have a different point of view. Some of us have more difficulty and have, more, have a difficult time trusting because in the past we've gotten burned. We did trust, and then it hurt us. We did believe the best, and it hurt us. So we take that baggage and we take those behaviors and there are certain events that, are, that are, match our expectations that are triggering events. That also when that happens, it's like, no, 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 I, I don't know if I can do this. Here's why we need to still understand that it is making a choice. Here's why. I understand we all have different experiences. I understand we're, we are all different. I understand that. I get all that. Even with all the inconsistencies of your partner, of your friend, of your coworker, of your neighbor. And even with all the baggage you bring, it is a choice that you make every time. It's a choice. And here's why it's so important to make the right choice, to practice the principle of trust. Because assuming the worst is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you assume the worst in your partner long enough, they're eventually going to do it, and you'll be right. Congratulations. If you assume the worst long enough in your, in your boss or your friend, eventually they're going to hurt you. Eventually, your ex- expectations and the experience you have are not going to match up. If you do that long enough, you will be right. Congratulations. You're right. If you do this long enough, you're going to make the thing that you didn't want to happen actually happen. If you do it with your partners long enough, I've seen it so many times where they always are assuming the worst, assuming the worst, assuming the worst in their partner. And that partner starts to walk around, tiptoes around them, making sure they're trying to do everything perfect and never mess up and never do that again. And eventually when they fall into that trap, you go, see, I knew it. Assuming the worst is self-fulfilling prophecy. Why would you want to live that way? We have a choice every time. That is why we need to keep an eye out for both of our obstacles. If you do not understand who you are, the principle of separate realities, you may not see that that behavior in your relationship. You need to understand that. That's why Paul said it this way. Let's go back to verse 6. Love does not 
delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The love doesn't say, see, I knew it. I knew this would happen. See, I, I knew you wouldn't do it right. That's not what love does. It doesn't assume the worst. Love isn't trying to catch the other person doing something wrong. Love isn't building a case against the other person. Love doesn't keep score. And then Paul says it always protects. It protects the relationship from suspicion. It's protective of the relationship. It always trusts. It believes all things. It chooses a generous explanation. It always hopes. It trends positively. We don't always go negative. We trend positively. And it always perseveres. Even when there is a doubt, even when that doubt is there, you push through and you don't give in. We won't create an environment that that other person will fall into the trap. So what do you do? You have a choice. You can believe the best. You can assume the worst. The choice is yours. When that gap is there, you can choose it. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, okay, but what happens if this always happens? What happens when there's a difficult situation and, and the same thing keeps happening? Listen, you can have difficult conversations. At times when the expectation, the experience does not match up, you can have a difficult conversation. Hey, you said you would be here on time and you weren't. This always happens. Can we talk about this? And you have a, a conversation, you talk about it, and then as soon as the conversation is over and it's all done, you go right back to assuming the best. 10 out of 10 times they relate, you have that conversation, the 11th time, well, there's still an explanation. It's always a choice that you have. You can assume the best, believe the worst. And what's the alternative? What is assuming the worst going to get you? You're going to delight in uncovering mistakes. You're going to thrive on speculation. You're going to assume the worst in everybody, and you're going to embrace that doubt. Is that how you want to live? Is that the model you want to show your kids? Is that what you want to show your coworkers? That kind of living of always when there's a choice, we're just going to, hey, I don't trust them. Assume the worst in them. Is this the advice that you're going to give your kids when they get married or when they have their first job? Hey, whenever their boss, your boss is something like that, just assume the worst in them. They're just out to get you. Is that what you want to do for your kids? Believe the principle of trust. Find the most generous explanation and believe it. When you choose to do this, you are choosing the principle of trust. When you choose to trust, you are accepting the other person's reality. And when they feel accepted by you, they will draw closer to you because we all draw closer to acceptance. If we want to love our partners without an agenda, our neighbors without an agenda, our coworkers without an agenda, our community without an agenda. We absolutely have to choose the principle trust. Let's pray. Yeah, we just thank you for showing us the model of love, for modeling what true love looks like, what love without an agenda looks like. I'm modeling it by sending your son for us. That when that gap exists between us and you, a gap that we can never fill, that you fill that gap with your son, his death and his resurrection. You know, we thank you for that model that you've given us. And I pray that today, in whatever areas we are struggling with this principle the most, that you convict us and help us to take that next step. To believe the best in our partner, to believe the best in our coworker, to believe the best in our friends rather than assuming the worst in them. Dear God, I pray that you help us to practice this principle of trust, to, to love the way you've called us to love, to take those steps of an, in obedience to you. Thank you for being the God that always gives us grace, that, that always loves us no matter what we've done. Help us to practice that love 
people around us. In your son's name, amen. We're going to close um, today and this entire series um, before you guys get your ice cream with a song. So I encourage you guys to stand up. Let's sing this last song together.